On today's episode, ladies and gentlemen, we are back and talking about some projections, looking at the power of math and what to expect for the San Diego Padres in 2024, according to Fangraphs, albeit offseason isn't over, but we're going to look at it for now. Lots to talk about. Let's get into it. You are locked on Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Thursday, January 25th, almost escaping the dredge, the depressing month that is January. My lordy. As always, I'm your host with subtitles occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You can find me on Twitter at Javipeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres, the former of which you could have discovered if you are watching the YouTube and you can see my sick, my sick Padres 1969 jacket that I got on. Uh, go check that out, Lockdown Padres, on YouTube for sure. Today's episode, guys, we're going into Zips projections because why not? Um, they haven't been fully updated and they they weren't, they don't take into account a lot of the moves that have happened uh, for the Padres over the last you know month or so ever since December, especially with the Juan Soto trade. But I still think that there's some interesting little uh, grains of information in here that I want to talk about and use as a springboard to talk about the team as a whole because this is a team that is really going to be completely retooled um, for this next year. I mean, even more so than last year's team. And that, that might sound crazy, but uh, especially since last year saw the, the arrival of Xander Bogarts and a lot of money being thrown around. But this team is just a, almost a complete makeover, it feels like, outside some of the pillars and the obvious players. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. A lot to talk about. Uh, today's episode, guys, though, is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get 150 buckaroos guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. And heck, man, let's get started with this episode. All right? Enough, enough dilly-dallying. So here's the thing. Overall, Zip's projections, I've... They can be... They're just a, a, a helpful template. Again, that, that needs to be emphasized before we get into this because projections and math and blah, 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 especially with fan graphs, it can be a little bit wonky because that's how sports work. So it's not smart to get mad at these things. And it's certainly, in my opinion, also not smart to uh, like dunk on them if they get wrong, right? Like this is just a sports thing. And also don't base any of your predictions on them either because... You know, and I'll talk about this in a little bit. There's plenty of things that will get wrong, and there's plenty of things that I've noticed covering baseball that they tend to really get excited over. Stuff like hard hit rate. Stuff like stuff plus. Um, and that can sometimes work out for sure, but it's, it's only a sometimes. This isn't, you know, set in stone, obviously. And there's a lot to talk about here, so we're going to get into it. The first thing that I want to say is the team projects to be, as expected, about an 80, a high 80s win team. Um, in best case scenario, right? They're not going to be the team that wins the division. That's going to be the Dodgers, who just the other day signed someone else, by the way. I'm forgetting who. Uh, um, James Paxton they signed the other day, which stinks because I thought that was an interesting target for the Padres, potentially. But, again, this is not a team that should be expected to be a real, true, ultimate contender until we see them play a little bit more. Right now, a lot of things are up and in the air uh, because they do have a lot of stars, obviously, with Tatis, with Machado, with Bogarts, Darvish, Musgrove, guys like that, um, and hopefully Luis Campizano. But 
there still is a lot of question marks, particularly around pitching and particularly around their their not that they don't have depth, but how the depth will play, I think is a way to put it. Right. So let's get into it. The first thing I want to talk about is that the Padres, when it comes to their 2024 hopes, a lot of it, obviously, is predicated on what they can get out of Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Xander Bogarts. And for the most part, for the most part, Zips really likes those guys to at least be better than what they were last year, at least for the most part. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. being one of the biggest risers um, in his total war uh, ranking, his wins above replacement, they're projecting him for about 5.5 war, uh, which would have been second on the team uh, had Juan Soto still been on the team, but he is not anymore, obviously. Soto was projected for 5.8. But here's the thing. Tatis... 268, 342, 528 slash line, a bunch of home runs, 36 home runs, steal a lot of bases. That sounds right, right? And if you actually look at Fangrass also does like these 80th, 20th percentile outcomes. So like the best case scenario and worst case scenario, basically. And the best case scenario for Tatis sounds right. 7.4 wins above replacement. Um, he can absolutely do that. Um, he's been close to it, you know, over the course of a full season. He's basically had that sort of going for him before. So it wouldn't be much of a surprise if you were able to do that last year. And I think the reason why this could be huge, a huge season for Tatis, is because he was projected to be only like a four-win player last year. And a big part of that was because they thought that his defense was going to lack um, in the outfield. And that's the thing with projections. We didn't know exactly what we were going to get out of Tatis. But this is a guy who put up 7.3 F4 in his last full, you know, pre-PED and injury um, concerns. You know, this is a guy who recovered from shoulder surgery. That can't be easy. 158 WRC plus that year, 113 this past year. So if he just hits the middle ground there of about 135, 136, whatever the middle is between 113 and 158, and you add in the excellent defense, Tatis is, has like one of the highest ceilings of basically any player in the sport. Um, and that's not hyperbole. That's not me just saying that because I host a Padres podcast. It's just true, right? And again, I think that with Tatis, a lot of it should be expected too. I, I really do, because I think if you look at the difference between his weighted on base and his expected weighted on base last year, which is a good predictor for just like the quality of hits you're actually giving instead of just say, oh, he got on base there. He got on base there, coupling all doubles and triples and home runs into one category with on base percentage. It's what Woba is good for. And the difference between his Woba, 332, and expected weighted on base, 368, was pretty massive. And I think a lot of people saw that when you were watching the team last year, where there was a lot of robbery, right? A lot of players tracking balls in center field, especially, that seemed to have taken away extra base hits from Tatis. Um, I think he was pressing at the plate a bit much, and it must have just been hard acquiescing to major league pitching, or maybe not necessarily acquiescing to major league pitching, just acquiescing to being in the major leagues <laughs> because of his suspension and his shoulder injury, that it probably took him some time, not to mention the team struggling, the human component of it. I imagine he was stressing at the plate, trying to put a little bit much, like he was swinging more than usual, it felt like, striking out a little bit more um, at times when you weren't expecting, and most importantly, not walking as much, uh, not just, be, just being a little bit impatient. He's so freaking talented that he still put up 4.4. Um, wins above replacement though. So like, don't get me wrong. Tatis is still incredible, um, but he's easily the highest projected thing for the Padres this year. And if he's right, you also have to hope that Xander Bogarts and Manny Machado are right. They're projecting Manny Machado to have a 4.8. Um, I'm sorry, I got this wrong. They're projecting, I was looking at 2023. They're looking at Manny Machado to be about a, for this next year, a 4.8 one wins above replacement player. Same thing for Xander Bogarts, 
Um, and it feels like a lot of that is projected to be based around good defense, right, from Manny Machado. And the Bogarts, they're kind of projecting to be not a negative, but certainly not a plus in that department. I, I, I struggle with how to feel about Machado because Machado's, some of his numbers did go down last year. He was fundamentally not hitting the ball quite as hard. His hard hit rate went from 91 percentile to 75 percentile, and his walk rate went down a lot too, 70 percentile to 47 percentile. So part of me is just a little bit wondering. He was also chasing, um, but he's always been a guy that can chase a little bit. Um, he's not fast, but that doesn't matter. His defense is excellent, and I think that's where the Fangraphs projection is a lot of it is predicated on, but only around 26 home runs. I still think that this is a 35 home run guy, potentially. I still think he could do that, um, but more so, it's just his overall line needs to be better. And one thing that happened last year was Machado had a injury as well. And I think that that's worth pointing out and in baking into his projection, is that if he had this injury that was bothering him, who knows for how long, because Lord knows the Padres medical staff and Padres health is not necessarily always the most trustworthy uh, division uh, we've ever seen. You know what I mean? We just saw Austin Nola seemingly maybe play blind uh, for a lot of last year, and they didn't know it until, like, months later. So that was a whole thing a la Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees, very similar. Um, so with Machado, that needs to be baked into this. That being said, I don't like that his walk rate um, decreased so much last year. And I don't like that, yes, he didn't strike out as much, but he wasn't. He just wasn't taking walks, and that worries me. Because one of the things with Machado that was always really fun is that he's one of the best strike to walk out. Hold on, strike out to walk ratio guys who hits for power in the sport. Like that's really what he's really good at. He usually doesn't strike out at dumb pitches all that much. Um, but even still, he's usually pretty good. Like he doesn't have a high K rate, and that's rare for guys who can hit for power and especially play good defense. So I'm expecting Machado to be good, but I don't think that it's all that wild to expect him to just be a four-and-a-half win player. That's what I would project him for, um, which isn't bad, by the way. His highest-case outcome, according to Fan Guys, is, is about like a 5.7 win player, which is great, which is excellent. Um, like, I, I would have no problem with that. But, again, unlike Tatis, the evidence in the numbers aren't totally there for Manny Machado, which is why I would be a little bit worried. But, again, hopefully, the biggest thing is this can everybody hit and just be a little bit more clutch in, in winning scenarios, right? Because that was a big reason why Bogarts and Machado, just they just weren't able to drive in runs last year, and that was a big problem. Uh, we just didn't have many run producers, so that was the issue there. And if they can do that, I kind of don't care about their home run totals and their you know batting average slash line necessarily. As long as you hit when it counts, that can kind of be all it takes. And if we get a reverse of last year where they were the worst team like ever in clutch situations and you just get a little bit of a regression to the mean, they're in business. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not it. We still got a lot to talk about, folks. A lot to talk about when it comes to the Zips projections for the San Diego Padres that we got to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. But before we continue, before we continue, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk just to you for a second about our longtime sponsor over at FanDuel. We love FanDuel, man. Don't we love FanDuel? FanDuel's great. It's awesome. It's spectacular. And the NFL season, it's wrapping up, folks. We only got two more weekends left. So if you want to get those bets in, you better do it fast, ladies and gentlemen. Right now, though, new customers can get 150 buckaroos and bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 money line bet. Oh, no, 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 no. You heard that right. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets 
win or lose. No, no, no. That wasn't some weird Freudian slip of mine. No, no, no. Just 150 bucks, win or lose, when you place a $5 bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're cooking, ladies and gentlemen. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like same-game parlays. You can find a bunch of different bet ideas in their Explore tab, which is really cool, and that's pretty new. Really cool idea from FanDuel. You can make a parlay in their Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and much more. Over-unders, point spreads, whatever you want to do. They got you covered. I promise you. There's all sorts of cool bets out there, and FanDuel has you covered for every single one of them. So, again, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And just like that, we are back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast discussing the fan graphs projections, the zippy doo projections, ladies and gentlemen. And today we're mostly, if not entirely, focusing on the batting side of things, which is why we took so much time talking about Tatis and Manny Machado. Um, the last one, of that big three is Xander Bogarts, who is also, according to Zips, projected for a 4.1 wins above replacement. He's a really difficult one to project. First of all, um, and, and again, this is really, Bogarts is funny because Bogarts on the one hand is like the classic guy who just didn't produce in his first year and everyone's freaking out because they're like, oh my God, that contract, disaster. And I am really getting annoyed with baseball fans having short-term memory. Let me tell you, sorry, my apologies, sports fans having short-term memory. Xander Bogarts, at his best, is an incredibly good player. Incredibly good player. And I think that one of the problems that I have with this assumption is that, guys, we just saw this for two high-key, high-profile players. Actually, three, in fact. Trey Turner was really bad for the Phillies last year. Who do you think had more F4 last year? Xander Bogarts or Trey Turner? I bet most people would say Trey Turner. He had a 3.8, while Xander Bogarts had a 4.4. Now, a lot of that is because Xander Bogarts had a really great first month and was just, eh, okay for the rest of the year for the most part, while Trey Turner became Ruth in the last like month of the season, famously, as everybody has pointed out. like It, it was genuinely like one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. From my guy, he just like, he was amazing. He was amazing. I'm actually looking at his his splits because I want to get this exact because I remember him going absurd in the second half. Let me see. Yeah, in August, he hit 333, which is pretty nuts. And in total in August, he had a 179 WRC+. And in March and April, 77, 66 in May, 111 in June, July 67, then 179 in August and 150 in September, October. So he basically got all of his wins from those last two months, pretty much. Like, he was a bad player last year. And no one's really talking about that as much as Xander Bogarts' bad season last year. Again, he wasn't incredible. It was really frustrating seeing him decline last year. But I don't know if it was a decline as much as it was just not a great year. 4.4 F4 is pretty good, and I think that the projection for him is really low. We saw last year that he had the wrist issue, right? Now, this is an issue that has plagued him throughout his career, um, but whether it be because of the Padres' incompetence and, say, the Red Sox' competence, um, when it came to managing that issue, that's part of the, the issue, I think, that people should think about. But for me, he got hit on that wrist with a pitch and for some and not for some reason and explicably got worse during those months. If you actually look at his splits, they became very Trey Turner-like 
in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of the splits per month, 154 that first month, then in May 59, June and 97, then July 116, August and 80, and then he, he finished strong in September and October with a 204 WRC+. plus. So first half 107, second half 136. I just think that that part of that was the injury. And another part of that was the fact that he was on a new team. I just mentioned Trey Turner. You remember what Francisco Lindor's first year was? Not that great. And he had just transitioned from the American League to the National League. And I don't think we talk about this that much, and especially when it comes to like star caliber players who have a lot of expectations, especially given their contract. We don't talk about that a lot. We just saw with Trey Turner. Now, Trey Turner was a little bit different because he went from Nationals to Dodgers to Phillies, right? So that one, it doesn't quite fit the my point that I'm bringing up here. But Marcus Simeon, also same thing. He was pretty bad his first year with the Rangers, and then he caught fire at the end, right? And I think a big part of this is being on a new team, first year of a big contract. In the case of Lindor and Bogarts, new team, new big contract, and a new league. You go from the American League to the National League. So I'm taking that into account. I'm taking the injury into account, and I'm taking into account that he still put up 4.4 F4 last year, and if he just hits better with runners on base, even an average player, I'm talking like a 110 WRC plus with runners on base. That's all he has to do. He's one of the least clutch players in the entire sport last year. Hit some more double plays than I can remember. If he just does that, we're talking about a five-win player here, guys. I'm being dead serious. I see it. I see it. And the slash line that they haven't projected at, 266, 347. Um, or I'm sorry. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I'm looking at 2024. 20, um, 275, 346, 424. If he bumps that, would it shock you guys if he's a 290 batting average guy? No, it wouldn't, which is why I disagree with the projections here. I really do. This is a guy that has hit close to 270 to 290. Actually, his lifetime average, if I'm not mistaken, is 291 and a 355 on base. I'm just not giving up on this guy yet. I'm not. He still had a 120 WRC plus last year. And again, a lot of it was after that injury. And a lot of it was that he just didn't hit with runners on base. If he does that, big-time RBI producer, let's see, last year he had 58 RBIs only. He can one-up that, guys. I'm not saying he's going to hit the 117 he hit in 2019 with Boston. But my thing is regression to the mean when it comes to Xander Bogarts. Believe. But ladies and gentlemen, that isn't it <laughs> in terms of the Padres. It's not just Tatis Machado Bogarts. We got a lot, bunch of other players. Zips loves Hassan Kim, um, as usual. No surprise there. 3.5 war projection for him. Um, you know, decent slash line, 246, 327, 383, though, um, which is decent, but not incredible. I think that they are rightfully projecting Hassan Kim to take a little bit of a dip in his offense because last year, when you look at some of the numbers, the 17 home runs might have been him just hitting above his head a little bit. Um, if you look at Babip, um, that was fine, but in terms of some of the other numbers on him, I don't think that, you know, if you if you go to Baseball Savant, for example, I, I hate citing Baseball Savant sometimes because I think it gets overused as like the be-all and end-all for baseball analysis, but a lot of his percentile rankings weren't great. Expected slugging, exit velo, barrel, and hard hit, all below the 15 percentile among all players, right? Now, one thing that he was great at, which I think he will keep up, is his plate discipline. I still think he can be a good on-base guy, which is... By the way, huge, because Hassan Kim is going to be one of the best defenders in the sport, um, him and Tatis both, so that's fine. But do not expect that because he set his career high in home runs that he's going to be a 25 home run guy this next year. And I think that's a big part of this, and I think that's baked into these projections. They're not expecting him to be as um, prolific a batter 
I think, this next year. He could still be okay. OPS plus above 100. That's okay. That's fine. But they're not expecting too much. And I don't think you should either. And the stolen bases are great. I love the stolen bases. If if you have him in fantasy, I'd be careful too. 38 stolen bases last year, 17 home runs. That's amazing. 260, 351, 398 slash line. Like, he's going to help you there. But I'd be a little bit careful to project him to get better. In fact, I actually wouldn't be that surprised if he basically was what he was in 2022. 3.7 win player, 106 WRC+, 11 homers, maybe a little bit more steals. I think he really got into the steals thing. So maybe 25 steals for him. Um, I just don't know if a lot of it was just getting the right pitch, hitting to the left field porch at Petco, and just kind of mastering that. I just don't see it, especially with those exit velocity numbers that they're going to go up. Which is why I've been one of those people who are like, I kind of like the idea of selling high on him right now. But we'll see. That still might happen, by the way. There have been reports that there's widespread interest in Hassan Kim. I still love the man. I'm just throwing it out there, though. Don't be shocked if you get more um, rumors on him. So he's great. That should be exciting. Can't wait. Next guy to talk about. It's funny that they. That this is before the Soto trade. I just want to use this point to illustrate to illustrate why Zip's projections can be very flawed and why my own logic could be flawed. But we're going to take a quick break, guys. A word from some of our sponsors. We'll be back. Let's talk about it in just a second. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Lockdown Padres podcast, where we are going over the Zip's projections for the offense for the Padres this coming season. A lot of cool stuff, man. A lot of cool stuff. We just got done talking about Hassan Kim, who everyone hates me uh, for <laughs> for trying to trade all offseason. I just want to point this out. Trent Grisham, before the trade went down, Zips projected him at a 2.9 F4. For fun fact, Zips also projected him for a 3.4 F4 last year. I don't know what it is with just Zips not caring that Trent Grisham cannot make contact, right? Like at all and consistently, he's either hitting a, a, a triple or he's striking out. Like that, he is very Joey Gallo-like. And in terms of the Yankees, they've got another 2.7 F4 this year, which I think is hilarious. And again, this is why it's worth pointing out that Zips can't be perfect. Because I think what Zips loves about Grisham is that the defense is there, the defensive upside is there, and he hits the ball really hard. He's still up there in hard hit rate. I think that's why they like him so much. Um, but again, remember that last season, like they projected him this high and he didn't do that. I don't see it for Christian because look, 1.7 F4 last year, 2.2, 2.3, 2.3. Where is this 2.9 lo- low low threes coming from with, with Sean Christian for his wins above replacement? I don't understand it. It's because they like his hard hit rate and they're obsessed with the defense and that's it. That being said... I think with the Yankees, he could be better. What I said before about his projection for Trent Grisham, the 2.9, that was with the Padres. I actually think he could be good with the Yankees. I think that the short porch there could help him. I think he could sneak into like 25 home runs um, if things go right. And if he's just taught to hit better, I could totally see that. I'm saying all this to say Zips can be untrustworthy in certain areas. And also brace yourself for Trent Grisham not being too bad of a player. I actually totally see it with the Yankees. But anyway. Another thing worth pointing out is last year, Zips projected Austin Nola for 2.1 wins above replacement and Luis Campuzano for 1.2 wins above replacement. 
It's true. I'm looking at it right now. And I'm just saying that again to illustrate to illustrate that these things aren't perfect. I don't know what they saw in Ostadola at all. I still don't understand. They probably, I think a big part of it was that they projected Luis Campuzano's defense to be a negative, which is fine. But they also didn't take into account that Luis Campuzano, a lot of his playing time, OPS Plus, they projected him last year at 89. They didn't expect him to get better hitting for some reason. And they didn't take into account the fact that the Padres had been using him so poorly up to that point, right? Inconsistent playing time, the fact that he he would, you know, pinch it to face Kenley Jansen to start his career, the fact that every time he had a good game, they'd send him back down, or every time he just had like a three-game bad stretch, they'd send him back down. Really, really frustrating. And what's funny is Zip still hasn't learned uh, when it comes to Luis Campuzano. They've got him projected for a 1.1 F4, 257, 313, 405 slash line. They just hate this guy. Um, and I think a big part of that is the defense, but I don't think that it's right to assume that Luis Campuzano isn't going to be at least marginally better when it comes to his defense. Um, he's scary. Don't get me wrong. I could see a world in which he's like a 1.5 win player. I could totally see that. But for me, my thing is just like, I, I just think that he can hit. I really do. And you know why I think that? Because he's hit at every level of his you know pro career. I'm talking AAA, AA. He's always been a guy that hits well. And I know that his percentile rankings aren't the most thrilling in the world. He does chase a lot. He does not have the best barrel and hard hit rates ever. But remember, for a catcher, for a catcher, he's pretty dang good. He's up there in whiff percentage. He's up there in strikeout percentage. He doesn't strike out. I don't think this is a guy who's going to hit a lot for a lot of power, but I don't think he needs to. I think he's going to do something just a little bit worse than what he did last year. I really think that Zips keeps underrating this guy, and I don't, th I don't think Zips likes guys in general that don't hit the ball super hard. But I think in the case of Campisano, this guy's just a hitter's hitter. As everybody knows, last year, 134 WRC+, plus, good for 1.4 F4. That was in only 49 games. 49 games. So unless Zips is projecting Kyle Higashioka to step in there and take over, I don't see it. Now, part of the Zips projection here was also they were a little bit assuming that Gary Sanchez would be brought back just based on the fact that he was with the team before. Okay, so, okay, you want to go by that? Fine. With Gary Sanchez, they projected him at a 1.5 wins above replacement. But he's currently still a free agent, and they got Kyle Higashioka. So that tells me that they are expect that, or I'm sorry, that Luis Campuzano should be expected to be better. And if you look at a little bit of the update, 2.2 um, wins above replacement, I can see that. Um, 110 WRC plus, I think, is a tad low, but 265, 323, 437 slash line, that's not bad. Unless something happens and Gary Sanchez is brought in, he is going to eclipse more than 1.3 wins above replacement, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. But I do think the defense is something to look into. Um, and I do think that as a whole, Luis Campuzano is still young, and you got to be careful with that, always. He is still 25 years old. Um, so I, I would look into that. But I think that he could still be like a secret X-Factor weapon for this team. I don't see what he did last year as something that can't be totally replicated. And again, seven home runs in 49 games. I don't know if that's going to space out over the course of 110, 20 games that he plays. But if it does, guys, I think it's legit. I really do. And I know that the BABIP is high. I think the BABIP is 331 for a catcher is pretty, you know eye-popping, and it makes you think, okay, so the batting average has to go down? Sure. But can he be a 280, 340 guy? Sure. Why not? 
I think the batting average part is totally legit. I, I really do. I th- I've been a Luis Campuzano truther for as long as I've been hosting this podcast, and it finally came true last year. Expected batting average, I don't think he got super lucky. I do think, don't expect, like, you know, a 25 home run guy. Don't expect him to be the best offensive catcher in baseball, which is what his numbers last year might pretend for, or might project for, I should say. Um, don't expect that. But if you don't, and you just expect a high-quality catcher, who at the very minimum, if he just gets okay as a defensive catcher, he could be a top-seven catcher in baseball, guys. Like, seriously, I think that that is the upside for him. I think a 2.5 wins above replacement is totally in his reach, and I think that if his defense improves, we're talking about, like, a a potential starter in the All-Star game because people might just be like, hey, screw it, this guy can hit. I love seeing guys who can hit in the All-Star game. I could see it. I really could. So that's exciting. Um, But not to harp on him too much, the last bunch of things to talk about when it comes to hitting are very difficult. Very, very difficult. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I also forgot to mention earlier, Manny Machado is a 4.1 player. Part of that is because of the injury and him playing DH. I don't know how to project that right now. I don't know how long exactly. I just don't trust the Padres when it comes to health things. That's just me. I understand that they said like a month and a half or whatever that he'll be DHing. Again, I want to wait until we're a little bit close to spring training to confirm that. But that's probably why they have him as the same wins above replacement as Bogarts, right? Just to keep that in mind, to give some background I forgot to mention earlier, um, because he's not going to gain any from playing third base. So we'll see. The next thing to talk about is the rest of the Padres' offense is going to be really predicated on how guys like Jake Cronenworth play and the rest of their prospects play. Eggy Rosario, what do you get out of him? I don't know, right? Like, can you get a guy who can be just decent 1.4 wins above replacement that's not bad they actually really like Graham Pauly um zips 1.3 wins above replacement 243 308 391 slash line they like him as a potential guy and I like him a lot too go listen to my episode that I talked with um Arm Layton about he's willing to go uh to bat for Graham Pauly I don't know if he's going to be called up I don't know exactly what's going to happen here but that's what's so interesting about the Padres team this year is whether it be Jackson Merrill whether it be Grant Pauly, whether it be Jacob Marcy, whether it be Matthew Batten, even to a small degree. Matthew Batten, does he deserve a little bit more? I don't know. I can't. I don't know how to feel about Matthew Batten. I love his name. I mean, the, the success is right in his name right there. My God. You know what I mean? Like, he, he could do it. Um, but I don't know how to feel about that guy. Because there were times last year when he just hit and hit pretty okay. 258, 355. Batting average on base. He doesn't hit for power at all, which is a little scary, which is probably why he should be projected downwards. But 106 WRC+, that's a decent bench player that you can just call in every now and then. So we'll see. And I think that that's what's so difficult here is that the rest of the Padres' offense is going to be really predicated on, one, if they make another move in free agency, which we're going to talk about probably next week uh, because I want to wait a little bit. Maybe something might be in the works. I don't know for sure. Um there's still some interesting bats out there. I think they're in a weird position, though, because of Machado's surgery. And if he's just playing DH, you might not be able to get a player like Jesse Winker, who I've thrown out there. Again, I want to see and wait. Because if Machado's, only, if Machado's not going to be on the DH for too long, then it might be worth investing in Winker, even if he's going to kill you defensively. Um, or a player like him that kills you defensively. But then once Machado finally comes back, you move him to DH, etc., etc. Um I've talked about, what's his face? 
Um, Adam Dunn, Adam Frazier, what's his name? Adam Duvall, there we go. I've talked about Adam Duvall as a potential player to be interested in. Um, I prefer Duvall because I don't think he'll kill the team. Let's say Machado's out for a month. I don't think he'll kill the team defensively while he's out there, and then you can move him to DH. I think that could be interesting. But again, it depends on that. Another thing that depends is Jake Cronenworth, who's predicted to be a 1.7 wins above replacement player. And so much of this depends on whether or not they can get him back to second base, which is the reason why I've been so pro-trading Hassan Kim. Because if you trade Hassan Kim and you get someone like Lamont Wade, I'm just throwing that out there as an idea, who could play first base and the outfield and be a really solid bat, you get him maybe some random Giants prospect, maybe get a reliever if you can, um, any reliever, even if it's at the major league level, I'd love that too. You do that, you bring in Lamont Wade, and then you can, what's it called? You can move Jay Cronenworth back to second base, boom, you're golden. Problem is the Machado injury. What? Because Hassan Kim is probably expected to be the starting third baseman for at least the beginning of the year. Um, so that raises another question. Like, what What do, what do, that means that second base could be open. So who are they putting at second base? Is it going to be Eggy Rosario? What, like, I don't know exactly what's, not Eggy Rosario. Is it going to be one of these minor league guys? Are they going to bring up Jackson Merrill to play there? Are they going to play him in center field? There's so many questions with the Padres that I don't have answers to right now because we don't have too many reports or concrete ideas of what it's going to look like, especially since we still have some free agents out there. I think that Preller is probably waiting for the market to cool down. I'm also curious to see what happens with um, Cody Bellinger. I don't think he's coming to the Padres, nor should he. Zips does not like Cody Bellinger, by the way. Just throwing that out there. Zips does not like Cody Bellinger uh, whatsoever. And I, I'm i a little bit pro-Bellinger because I think that if you've been an MVP before and a Rookie of the Year before, that it's not totally out of left field to expect him to be pretty solid again. Um, you know what I mean? But... It is really funny that Zips just hates this guy. 4.4, 4.1 F4 last year. They're projecting him at, at Steamers 2.4, Fangraph at 2.6. Like, they are expecting him to take a mighty step back. Like, it's kind of crazy how much they're... It's just, like, baked in. And personally, I think people are hating a little bit too much. Um, that being said, I think that it's hard to evaluate the rest of the Padres' offense until we have some more concrete details. How long will Machado be out exactly? Is it possible to move Hassan Kim, especially with those rumors... I don't think we get those rumors that the Padres haven't at least been exploring it. Now, if they've been exploring it and they aren't getting the type of proposal that I just mentioned, Lamont Wade, solid batter who you can move at first base, allowing you to move Cronenworth to second, and then maybe getting a reliever in return, I get it. They shouldn't just trade him to trade him. You shouldn't trade Hassan Kim if one of the only reasons is because you need to get Jake Cronenworth back to second. It's a big plus, though, which is why Lamont Wade, and then you get Cronenworth at his best, potentially, at second base. I would try to salvage the Cronenworth thing. And I know there's probably already people typing, like, just trade Cronenworth. And I'm like, yeah, and we said that for Hosmer for how many years? And no one would bite. Teams aren't stupid. The only team out there that you might be able to swindle is, like, the Rockies. Because they'll just be like, hey, Cronenworth, he's fun. He's got a big idea. We love culture guys. That's the only team I could see you swindling for. But for seven years, even they might not be that crazy. So that's my thing. Instead of just throwing out there and texting me and DMing me about how they should trade Cronenworth instead, that's a pipe dream. It's not happening. You know what I mean? You can't just will things into existence. You actually have to give up good players usually in trades or players that people are interested in. No one's interested in Jay Cronenworth with that contract right now. And that's what all reports say. So again, what happens in center field? Do they play Jacob Marcy? Do they play... Do they have Grand Pauly come up for a little bit? Do they have Jackson Merrill play center field, which is reportedly something that they were interested in back in August last year because of Trent Grisham struggles. 
uh, that they were thinking of calling him up for the last month of August. I could see that. A lot of the Padres' offense is predicated on two things. Cliff Notes' version of this entire podcast. Do we get the star versions of Bogarts, Machado, and Tatis? Tatis, 100% certain we will. Bogarts, 85% sure we will. Machado, I'm like 60, 40%. Like, I don't know exactly where that's going to go. I don't. I think the wins above replacement thing he can certainly be okay in. But remember, he's going to be playing DH to start the year. So that's that's tricky. We have to see. But personally, I don't mind the idea, man. I think that trading Kim would boost a lot of the projections for this team. Because then, I know it sucks to lose him. But you can get a decent player like Lamont Wade. You can get a reliever or whatever. You move Cronenworth. Try to salvage it. If it doesn't work, then we can talk about whether or not you just buy the guy out. We should at least try one more year, especially at the position that he was originally good at, at second base. Get Eggy Rosario, get someone else to play third base, at least competently, until Machado's back. But then that depends on how long is Machado going to be out. If Machado's out for like three months, then yeah, you might have to just keep Kim and roll with it and see what happens, right? But if he's not, and it's like, all right, we're waiting like three weeks for him to be able to play third base, then my thing is like, just get a guy. You know what I'm saying? Just get a guy who can come up there and be okay. Give one of your young guys a chance. I think that's a big part of this. And again, you have Eggie Rosario. Would I hate giving him a chance at third base if we know that Machado is not going to be out for too long? No. And this is where prospects and young guys come into play, guys. You know, 24 years old. We don't know for sure what Eggie Rosario is. I think it's worth trying out. I think it's worth trying out. And I think it'd be fun in a lot of ways to just talk about on this podcast, it would not be fun to lose Hassan Kim, but I think it would be proven, it would be the prudent thing, especially with him being a free agent after this year, and with Padres' financials being, well, I think every now and then a little bit overblown, I think temporarily a little bit a, a little bit hindering the team. Um, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see, ladies and gentlemen. There are so many possibilities. With that all being said, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow myself on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. Stay tuned for tomorrow when we go over the pitching side of things when it comes to the Zips projections, giving my thoughts on that, being very sad that the Dodgers acquired quite literally every single player, every single pitcher that I was interested in, uh, seemingly. Uh, and then future episodes, so we're going to talk about free agents. We're going to talk about the biggest X factors for the team, uh, personally, that I have for this next year, and it won't be someone like Tatis because he's obvious. I'm going to be talking about that. going to be talking about the free agent targets. going to be talking about old targets that the Padres used to have just for a little bit of fun uh, that they ended up not getting and how that's aged poorly or well. So that should be a lot of fun. But yeah, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. That is it. Zips projections, math. Can't wait to see how this team forms. It's exciting. It's exciting. The unknown is actually kind of exciting. It's weird. I know it sounds weird, but it's, it's kind of exciting. Until next time, stay safe. And of course, stay faithful. My fire faithful homies. Take care.